Thanks everyone for joining us today. If this is your very first time, uh, welcome. We're, we're just so delighted to be able to continue with church and, and to be able to do it online and do it virtually. Um, I hope everyone will take the time uh, to fill out our communication cards. I know it seems like an extra step, but if you just would go online to our website, uh, if you have the app, you can use the app. But we really appreciate it when you let us know that you're out there watching us. So um, have a look at that. Before we begin, I want to highlight our congregational meeting next uh, Sunday, uh, January 24th at 1 p.m. And I want you to know that uh, we have picked that time slot. I know it seems a little unusual, 1 p.m. is pretty early in a Sunday afternoon. But we want to carve out a time so that the Packers can play. So we, by faith, have set aside this time, even though at the time I'm speaking, we don't know the outcome of the game this afternoon. So that's why we set it at 1 p.m. We have two major items uh, for the congregation to consider. The first one is the uh, 2021 budget. That will be very important. It shouldn't take long to prove. We have some really good news financially that we're anxious to share with you. The second item that's really important is uh, we have two elder candidates to present to the congregation for approval. They are for a three-year term. Uh, the first candidate is uh, Willie Wendler, and Willie has served, um, uh, has attended the bridge for about 10 years and has also served as an elder during that time. And Willie is married to Laura, and many of you know Laura as the admin here at the bridge. The second candidate is Adam Condit, and Adam is married to Alicia, and uh, Adam has been um, at the bridge for about three years. Uh, you may remember that Adam spoke uh, for me back in, in December, and so the elders have interviewed both men. Uh, we deem that both men are qualified uh, according to uh, 1 Timothy 3, the requirements uh, for an elder. Uh, so please make that a priority for next week for us. Today, we're going to finish our study in 1 Peter, which is about having hope in adversity. I want to take you back now to 1962. We're going back to my childhood. In 1962, a blockbuster movie came out. This was before we even knew what a blockbuster movie was. We didn't know that term. The name of this movie was Lawrence of Arabia, starring Peter O'Toole. Uh, it was only three hours and 46 minutes long before commercials. Uh, Lawrence of Arabia was a British officer, um, and his, his real name was Thomas Edward Lawrence. The movie is a bit sensationalized, but it is based on historical events. In a nutshell, Lawrence is sent to Arabia by the British Army in 1940, 1914 at the beginning of World War I. And his job is to be a liaison between the Arabs and the British Army. Over time, Lawrence got caught up in the Arab cause so much that he kind of separated from the British Army. And he joins Arab forces in a conquest to eliminate the Turkish uh, Ottoman Empire uh, in, in Arabia. Now, all of this is to tell about one story of this conquest. So, here it is now. 
Listen in. Agabus was a, an essential harbor on the north shore of the Red Sea. So picture this. Uh, this is an important strategic uh, harbor in this war. And uh, the main entrance is from the south on the Red Sea. And it gets very narrow as it comes to the harbor, surrounded by mountains. And this harbor is heavily defended by very large naval guns. It seemed impenetrable. So access to the strongholds, when the people came to the harbor by, by sea. But Lawrence did the unthinkable. On the north side of Agaba was desert, the Arabian desert. Lawrence went with Arab troops over 600 miles through the Arabian desert. And extremely rare defeat with an army. As the Turks were not expecting any armies to cross the desert, Lawrence and the Arabs totally overran the Turkish forces without one naval gun being fired. So here's the point. The Turkish army failed to defend their precious harbor because of two mistakes. Think about this, two mistakes. They did not know their enemies and his tactics, and they did not have the right weapons. Today, the Apostle Peter calls us to know our enemy and his tactics because we do face a real spiritual battle. We do face real spiritual warfare, and we have a real spiritual enemy. Just before Peter talks about this enemy, he connects us back with last week's message on the subject of humility because humility is the appropriate attitude toward God in spiritual warfare. It's an appropriate attitude for all occasions and for all situations. So I want to read uh, our passage, the main part of the passage. I'm going to start in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. And here's what Peter writes. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Look out for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So the first thing we see that Peter uh, addresses here is for us to embrace humility. We are to embrace humility. Look what Peter writes in verse 6. He says, humble yourselves, Therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. To be intentional, to be willing to place ourselves under God's authority. God's hand is mighty. God's hand is powerful. 
under God's mighty hand is the place to be under his care and in his protection because so that he may lift you up in due time. You know, today you might be in a humbling situation. Um, There will be days of struggle and pain and hardship. But in due time, in God's time, he will lift you up. Maybe it'll be next week. And maybe that will be the due time. Maybe it'll be next year. For many of us, maybe it'll be when Jesus returns. So let's embrace humility. Why? Humility reflects the life of Jesus. We see this over and over in the life of Jesus. Um, In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he said, he came to serve and to give away his life. He, He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. In John chapter 13, uh, a very important passage in the life of the disciples, it was the night of the Last Supper when they gathered in the upper room for that meal where Jesus established communion for the very first time. As the disciples came into the room, Jesus took off uh, um, his outer garment and he took the role of a, a servant and he washed the disciples' feet one at a time. And the disciples were dumbfounded. Why was this teacher, this leader of theirs, their rabbi, why was he taking the role of a lowly servant to wash their feet? Here's here's what Jesus said. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Next slide. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus showed them how to do humility, and they would never forget it. Peter never forgot it. And Jesus says, if you want to be blessed, be humble like he was humble. Not to make ourselves too important. Don't make ourselves so important that we can't serve others. One of the great things about living in our, in our country, it's, it's part of our history, it's part of who we are, that we have an opportunity in this country for what's been called back in the 1980s and 90s, upward mobility. Been different names to describe that throughout our history. And it's about the ability and the freedom we have to advance through education, through hard work, through achievement. And we can change our status. We can change our social status. We can change our income level. This upward mobility. Jesus calls us to something different than that. Not that all those things are bad. It kind of depends on our attitudes about it and what becomes the most important thing. Jesus calls us to a downward mobility. 
I love the quote of Henri Nouwen who said, everything in me, I, this, is, this is so human, everything in me wants to move upward. We want to be better. We want to be more popular. We want to be, uh, have more money. We want more stuff. We want to be more comfortable. Downward mobility with Jesus goes radically against my inc- inclinations, against the advice of the world surrounding me, and against the c- culture of which I'm a part. Downward mobility is about humility. Next, humility is the pathway to God's favor. I want to go back to the context from last week in verse 5. And Peter writes there, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. All of you clothe yourselves. This is for all of us. It's to put on humility, like uh, putting on a a coat or or wrapping ourselves in a blanket, wrap ourselves in humility. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And Peter right here is connecting verses 5 and 6 together. God opposes the proud. He works against those who have a self-inflated view of themselves. Um, God opposes those who place themselves at the center of their very own universe. God works against those who think that they're better than others. In verse 6, Peter writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. That's God's time. The time of his choosing God gives grace to the humble. Submission to God under his authority, under God's mighty hand, under his sovereignty brings grace, brings grace that comes from God. Uh, Grace is God's favor. It's, It's a blessing from God. It's God's strength. It's God working with us and God working for us. Peter learned this firsthand from Jesus. Peter remembers the words of Jesus in Luke 14 and verse 11, where Jesus said to his disciples, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is like turning the world upside down. This is going to be a total surprise for people one day. Peter learned this principle on many different occasions firsthand. Sometimes Peter got overconfident at his very own abilities. Uh, For example, he said uh, to Jesus on the night before Jesus was crucified, he said, I will never deny you, Lord. I will never, never do that. And yet that very night he, he denied Jesus three times in a very short period of time. And Peter failed miserably and he wept. And he had betrayed Jesus. Peter humbled himself after that. And and Peter met Jesus after the resurrection. And Jesus restored him back to leadership in due time. Next in verse 7. Peter tells us to deal with daily anxiety. 
we all have anxiety. We all have anxious thoughts. We all face weary. It, it, it bothers some people more than it bothers others. Just having anxious thought is not sinful. One of the problems with anxiety is when it directs our lives and it directs our choices. Um, Peter writes in verse 7, he says, cast all your anxiety on him, meaning cast all your anxiety under the mighty hand of God, cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. God cares about you. He knows your he knows your needs. He knows your hurts. He knows your pain. He knows your anxious thoughts. He cares. He cares. Peter alludes to Psalm 55, verse 22 here. He goes both excellent um, spiritual advice as well as uh, mental health ad- advice. And I confess, I am not a mental health expert. I know there are many reasons why people experience anxiety. Sometimes it can be related to brain chemistry and medication proves to be very helpful in helping and treating anxiety. A danger for us can be when we avoid God's word and when we avoid what God says about anxiety and we rely only on medication or even self-medication to to manage our, our, our stress or our anxiety, then we're going to be headed for trouble. God wants us to place our worries and our anxieties into his hands. And you know what? That would be true whether I'm on medication or whether I'm not on medication. So here are some simple suggestions um, to, to consider to whether they're, see if they're helpful for you. The very first one here is to take an inventory of your worries. Make a worry list. Um, in one of our growth groups called NAV27, uh, one of the assignments is to make a worry list and write to sit down and think about the things that causes you to worry, that causes you to feel anxiety, problems you're facing and to write them down and to sort of clarify what the, what the issues are. Um, sometimes uh, when we uh, have worries, uh, our minds get cluttered with the issues or the problems. And sometimes it can just feel like it's paralyzing. But, and that's why it takes to, it helps to, to take a, an inventory, to, to, to write these things down. Um, the next thing, consider, identify the problems of today versus the problems of tomorrow. Some things on my worry list may need to be handled today. Some things will be there tomorrow, no matter what. And I just need to clarify which is which. I need to clarify what things I should seek to give attention to today, whether it's prayer or action or even reaching out uh, to, to a friend uh, to, to, to ask for help or to seek wisdom or advice or, or uh, just to be able to share the burden. 
Um, Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. One of the ways that God cares for his people is when we bear one another's burdens. And that's why uh, it's important to, when we are burdened with anxiety is, is to have the ability to share it with somebody else. And sometimes we can share it with a friend, somebody we trust. Sometimes we need a professional to help us walk through some difficult things in our own lives. Identify the problems of today versus the problems of tomorrow because God can meet our needs. Look at Matthew 6, verse 34. In this whole context in Matthew 6, Jesus has been talking about our needs and how God meets the needs of the birds of the air or he provides our food, he provides what, what we need, we can trust him. And then he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is saying we need to set some boundaries on the problems of life and deal with them, trust God one day at a time. To, yes, it's important to plan for the future, but we don't have to be overwhelmed by the future. We can offload our needs and the things that cause us worry. We can offload them to God one day at a time. It's a daily thing. Then Peter uh, tells us, after we identify our problems, to place your anxieties of today in God's mighty hands for safekeeping. Place your anxieties of today, one day at a time, into God's mighty hands. Uh, under the mighty hand of God. You know what? He can handle it. He is the mighty God. He is, in fact, the all-powerful God. Uh, he can handle our anxieties. You know, we don't have to hang on to them. Sometimes we for, sort of feel like these are mine and I've got to hold them or somehow they're going to slip away or they're not going to get... I've, and we, we're afraid to offer them back to God for His help. Um, we sometimes worry as if we're the only ones who have the ability to worry about them. So, for Peter, we can deal with our daily anxieties. But next, Peter urges us to know, in verses 8 and 9, to know the reality of spiritual warfare. To know spiritual warfare is real. Look what he says in verse 8. He begins, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Be alert. Be on guard. Be focused. Be ready. Stay sharp mentally, but stay sharp spiritually. Don't let your mind be clouded with distractions. In fact, if, you're, if your mind is clouded with anxiety, you can't be alert. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
You know, this is an everyday reality. The devil, as, as Peter um, describes him here, is, is Satan. There are many names uh, for, for the devil or for Satan. And he is the enemy of God. That's another name. Um, and he is your enemy as well. He wants to devour those who follow Christ. He would like to destroy them. He wants to render the cause of Christ worthless. And he doesn't have to be physical to do that. Uh, he wants ideas to circulate, to put doubt on God's word. And to call into question and to challenge spiritual concepts. He wins when people start thinking that way and believing that way. Like a roaring mountain lion. It's, this is one of his chief tactics. And that is to intimidate and uh, he intimidates his targets with fear. And so when, when, when uh, the enemy works in our minds, when he deceives us, when he causes us to be fearful, and we become overwhelmed with that, the enemy is gaining a foothold. It's, it's an area where he can be, begin to have influence. Um, when you think about the tactic of the enemy to to uh, want to promote fear. Think about how, how closely fear and anxiety are related. And, these, and, and, and the spiritual resources that we have. We come to uh, verse 8. Be ready. Peter urges us to be ready. To be prepared spiritually. To be, to be prepared with the truth that comes from God's word. To be prepared by, as we're prepared spiritually, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit each day, one day at a time, and uh, no weekends off. Also, we are to know our enemy and his tactics. Know your enemy and his tactics. Um, we see in, in verse 8, that, that Satan operates like a roaring, roaring lion. He, he wants to cause fear, as the lion causes fear when he roars. Um, personally, um, I stay away from certain kinds of films. I have learned not to watch, for me, I don't watch horror films. I do not like films that have supernatural darkness. Because there is a danger of opening the door for the enemy to mess with my mind. And so I make that choice to, to not view certain things. Um, the devil works to influence our minds. One of his most common tactics besides fear is deception. He is a deceiver. You know, it's amazing if you go all the way back to Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden with Adam, Satan, right off the bat, challenges the Word of God. Uh, he, he deceives Eve. He distorts what God has said. And as Eve listens, she buys into it. And she begins to change her thinking. And she rationalizes it's okay. She knows a little bit better than what God does about her situation and her life. 
and she is deceived. Satan is a deceiver. As you read through both the Old and the New Testament, there are several things that we can learn about Satan, who he is and what he's like. Uh, I want to give a, a short list of some of those things. And it's kind of helpful just to have clarity on these things. I'll go through them uh, kind of quickly. The first one is Satan is a real spiritual being. He's a created being. Um, he is not a creator or the creator. He was created as an angel originally. Um, he is a real spiritual being. He's not human. He's not just a religious idea or symbol. He's not just the personification of evil or something that in ancient times people dreamed up to explain the source of evil. He's a real supernatural being. Also, he has supernatural power. He uses supernatural power. He can do miracles. Do not be surprised about that. That's why I stay away from some movies that get into the supernatural. Because uh, this is an extremely significant role of the, the enemy. Uh, he can do miracles, and, and sometimes he, does do, he will do miracles that can look good. But just because they're supernatural does not mean that they are from God. Next, he wanted to be like God and possess God's authority and glory. This happened right after creation. Um, this was Satan's sin, by the way. He wanted God's place. He wanted to be the center of attention. And his sin, guess what, was pride. The opposite of humility. Uh, also, he rules a large number of fallen angels called demons. Uh, they too are angels. They are created beings. Um, none of them have the um, significance as, as, as uh, Satan does. Not, none of them are as powerful as he is. And th there, are, there are apparently ranks of demons, as we see in Scripture. Some are more powerful and have more authority than others. Also, he is not equal with God in any way. This is really important. Sometimes I think Christ followers get confused about this. They get this idea that somehow Satan is an equal, uh, is equal with God and he's sort of doing battle with God on equal terms, and that is not so. He is not equal with, to God in any way. Uh, he is not all-powerful, or he's not omnipotent. The devil has power, but he is a wimp in the presence of God under the mighty hand of God. Satan is not all-powerful. He has power, nothing compared to God. Satan is not all-knowing. All He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. Uh, he doesn't know everything about you. Believers get, um, sometimes they get confused about this. He doesn't know what you are thinking. He cannot know what you are thinking. But demons or Satan can learn about you and they can do that just by watching you and seeing your behavior and they can see your weaknesses and they can see what causes you pain they can see what brings you pleasure and they can figure out where to make a temptation at one of your weaknesses 
Satan is not equal with God in any way. He is not everywhere present. He's not, he doesn't have omnipresence. Satan can't be everywhere. Think about this. He's a created being, and he can only be in limited, a limited place one at a time. If he is in Africa, he is not here. Now, he can have demons to represent him throughout the world, but they all have limitations on their location. So, the devil is not equal with God in any way. We come to verse 9, and Peter says that we should resist God's enemy. This is like a no-brainer, right? Uh, Sure, we know we should resist. This is an intentional choice. If you are disengaged in your spiritual life, you are not resisting the enemy. You are not resisting the devil. If you are not walking with Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, you are not resisting the devil. Look at uh, verse 9. Peter writes, resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Remember in the first century, uh, the, the churches that Peter is writing to, they're facing persecution. And the persecution will become hot. And people will be executed and tortured in the years to come. And there are believers throughout the world in different places that are also suffering. You're not alone, Peter is saying uh, to the churches. But he tells them to resist, to resist the enemy. To do that, we need to stand firm in our faith. That is to trust God, uh, to, to cast our anxieties on God. That's an act of faith. To believe that God can handle my stuff. To trust God's promises. To walk in humility toward one another. That's how we resist. That's how we stand firm. The Apostle James writes similar to this in James 4 verse 7. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Submission to God is key in resisting the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Uh, Placing ourselves under the authority of the mighty hand of God. We are to resist the devil by turning away from evil choices that dishonor God. We have plenty of instruction in the New Testament what that entails. Uh, We are to resist the devil by turning from deception. We uh, on a daily basis, we get to we evaluate ideas. Some ideas are true and accurate. Some ideas are false. Some ideas dishonor God. And, and we can filter those uh, be, because of our knowledge of the Word of God. And we can resist uh, the devil when we um, turn away from deception. When we say, yep, that's not true. That's a lie. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through uh, 17, uh, the Apostle Paul gives us resources for spiritual warfare. I'm not going to read through the passage. Let me just read the first couple of verses here. Paul writes, finally, be strong in the Lord. So for us 
to be able to handle spiritual warfare, it's important that we are strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, not our strength, but it's got to be God's power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against uh, flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul goes on to, to talk about resources that we have and he talks about the armor of God. And I just want to simplify that and say this. Uh, here, here Paul shows us how to be prepared. First of all, that we embrace Christ and the gospel. Jesus died for us. And by placing our faith in Christ, uh, we experience the forgiveness of sins and receive um, the gift of eternal life. And that is a protect, that, that is a part of doing battle in spiritual uh, warfare, to embrace Christ and the gospel. Then to embrace God's word and to grow in Christ's likeness, to grow in righteousness, um, advancing in maturity. And, and that is a resource against the devil. And it's about resisting him. As we go forward on mission to reach the world for Christ, as we share the good news, uh, we advance God's kingdom. That is a spiritual weapon of warfare. Living by faith is a weapon of spiritual warfare. Trusting God one day at a time is a weapon of spiritual warfare. And we could have included verse 18 which would be last on this list. And the answer, the, a spiritual weapon for warfare is prayer. It is a powerful weapon of warfare. And so Peter says, know your enemy and know his tactics. Lastly, in verses 10 and 11, uh, we are to embrace God's promises. If we embrace humility, if we deal with anxiety daily, if we know our enemy and his tactics now we can embrace God's promises. Look at verse 10. Peter writes, And after we have clothed ourselves with humility, after we have considered our enemy and his tactics and cast our care on him, the God of all grace, who calls you into his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while. Suffering is normal in this life. There will be suffering. There is suffering. After you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Um, the God of all grace. We need grace from the God of all grace. We need grace to be saved. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are you saved. That's about God's favor. It's not about us. It's God is the one who saves us. He's the one who paid our penalty. We cannot offer anything to advance our salvation, to purchase our salvation, or to claim our salvation. We need grace to be saved, and we need grace to live the Christian life one day at a time. We need God's favor. We need his strength. Um, and then... We, can, we see that the God of all grace will restore you. 
the God of all grace will restore you. He will straighten out that which is bent. He will rebuild that which is broken. He will replenish that which is uh, depleted. Then the God of all grace will make you strong, Peter tells us. He will, he will give strength to the weak. He will empower us to live for him. And then thirdly, the God of all grace will enable you to stand firm and be steadfast. He will give you what you need. He will enable you to stand without wobble, without falling down. He will give you endurance. We come to verse 11. And this is Peter's benediction to the book. And he says in verse 11, To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter gives praise to God at the end of his book. And he get, it's an act of worship, the benediction. In verses 12 through 14, the final words, the final thoughts here. And let me just read what those, how, the, how the book closes. He says, um, just some co- concluding remarks here. He says, with the help of Silas. Uh, Silas was the companion of Paul in Acts chapter uh, 16. And um, Silas is here supporting Peter. And Silas is probably the one writing down the words of Peter. Probably not Peter writing, but it's probably Silas's words. He's a secretary. This was a common practice. And uh, Peter says, I regard him as a faithful brother. I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. And then we come to verse 13. And Peter writes, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. Who is this person or who is the she in Babylon? Um, Very likely, this is sort of a code for the church in Rome. Um, Things are, uh, more pressure is coming in the persecution from Rome, from Nero, and um, a way of uh, protecting that Peter is in Rome, where this is where Peter spent his very last years before he was executed. And uh, Peter has been there and he's saying, she, the church in Rome, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, one church to others. And so does my son, Mark. Who's Mark? Well, Mark's probably not his biological son, maybe not even his spiritual son, although it, he could be. It's probably more like Peter views him as a son and is mentoring him. This is the same Mark as John Mark back in Acts 15 where Paul and Barnabas debated over the, the worthwhile of taking him on the, on the next missions trip and, and Paul refused to take him. But Barnabas did. And Barnabas, uh, Mark continued to grow as a Christ follower and became a very valuable to the Apostle Paul later in ministry. And Mark is the one who very likely wrote the Gospel of Mark. And he would have written those words down from the words of Peter's firsthand experience. And then it closes, greet one another with a kiss of love. That was the culture of greeting in the day, a symbol of expressing love for each other. And, 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 and just in case you, you wondered, in, in those days, the church sat with the men on one side and the women in a different location. And 
And then he says, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Um, so we come to the end of 1 Peter. And this book gives us hope that comes from God as we go through COVID. Some adversity that you face may be very big. You may, some, some are facing a huge crisis right now. Some of it is not. Some of our anxiety is very real. Some of it gets amplified by our enemy. It gets magnified. Deception has been a part of human warfare, perhaps as long as there has been war. Today we call it psyops or psychological operations. Even back in the 4th century B.C., Alexander the Great sometimes employed psyops in warfare. Once when Alexander's army was in full retreat because he was facing a much larger army, he was smart enough to know when to retreat, Alexander gave orders to his armorers to construct oversized armor. They made breastplates and shields and weapons for much larger men, men that were seven or eight feet tall. As his army would retreat, Alexander had his men leave the, the, these oversized, uh, this oversized gear, leave it behind on the roads to be discovered. When the pursuing army came upon them, they thought they were fighting giants. The troops became demoralized and discouraged and stopped pursuing Alexander. Remember, deception is a powerful strategy of the devil, the enemy of God, and he's our enemy too. He can make our problems seem like giant problems, which add fear and worry and doubt. Our job is to resist him, not to ignore him. Let's pray. Father, I just uh, thank you for the book of 1 Peter, for the hope that it has given us during these days of our own kind of adversity and during the days of COVID and uh, political upheaval and racial uh, tension and um, racism. And so many things have happened the, these past 12 months. And God, we're grateful that we can cast our anxiety on you. We can bring our troubles to you. God, may we be a, a humble people. May we consciously and intentionally seek to be humble as we walk into 2021. Enable us to identify our anxiety and to cast it on you. Lord, may we be clear about who our enemy is. May we be intentional in how we think about and how we live. May we be intentional to resist him. Thank you, God, for your promises. Thank you that you're going to strengthen us and you're going to raise us up. And one day we'll understand all that you are doing and how you worked and what your plan was 
and what our role was. Help us to be faithful one day at a time. For Jesus' sake and in his name I pray. Amen.